Hey, good morning, family of church. Wow, is there anywhere else you'd rather be this morning? No. It is so good to be together and to praise the Lord. And we are thrilled that you're here, excited about today. Last night, we had an amazing service. God really worked, and we can't wait to see what he does this morning. So you can be seated. And we are going to get started. But before we do anything else, we really want to take a moment and stop and pray for Israel. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important uh, with all that's going on in the Middle East and Israel, um, our ally and God's hand, and in the future and in the past, God has had his hand on the Jewish people in Israel, and we as Christ followers need to pray for them today. The scripture says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we know that there's no peace right now, so let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we lift up to you, Israel, and we ask you to protect them, and we pray for the families of those who have been killed in this attack, that you would just comfort somehow, that you, Lord, would somehow protect and work and bring good out of this terrible event. And we just ask you, Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem and of Israel and blessings upon them. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we have a very powerful service today. And it's because the Lord is here and he wants to move in our lives and he wants to meet needs. So we're concluding this series we're calling Dinner with Jesus with the most important dinner that Jesus ate with his disciples. It was the last dinner that Christ ate with all of his disciples together before he went to the cross. And we know it as the Last Supper. So let's look at it at Matthew 26, verse 26. Would you stand in honor of God's word? And I know that the Lord's gonna work through his word in our lives. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until that day, when I drink it new with you, in my Father's kingdom. You can be seated. Here at the Last Supper, Jesus gave us an example, and he gave us something that we need to remember always, and that's his death and his sacrifice for all of our sins. And so you're gonna participate in the service today because we're gonna take communion. Now it's interesting, the Bible never tells us when or how often we're to take communion. It just says that you're to do this, to remember Christ's sacrifice. So we're gonna look to the past, the past dinner, and in a moment, Chris is gonna talk to you about the amazing first dinner that we're gonna have in heaven one day. So what is communion? Before we take it, what is it all about? Well, communion is a time for remembering. It's a time to remember. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was b- betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
So Jesus told the disciples, and he tells all of his disciples in the future, you're to do this to remember the sacrifice where I gave my body and poured out my blood so you could have forgiveness and peace. No more shame, no more guilt, and you could have heaven one day. And it's all a free gift because of what he's done for us. Now the bread symbolizes his body. And I think it's interesting that it says he took the bread, he gave thanks, and then he broke it and he passed it out. What a powerful symbol that Christ was broken for our brokenness. He was broken on the cross. In fact, he died of a broken heart. Now medical science tells us that when they pierced his side and blood and water flowed, that meant that his heart had burst. You see the others on those other two crosses, the thieves, they died of asphyxiation and they, they couldn't breathe because you had to push up against the nails to be able to breathe. But eventually, they would wear out and they would collapse and then they could no longer breathe. And so, but Jesus, he, he died first and it was because of a broken heart as he carried us and all of our sins on that cross. And so we're to remember that sacrifice. It's sort of like on Memorial Day when we remember the sacrifice of those who paid the ultimate sacrifice so we could have our freedoms. We could have freedom to worship today because we wouldn't have that if it weren't for the sacrifices of those who have gone before and those now who fight for us. And so it's remembering and it's so important to remember, and Jesus said, I, I want you to remember, I want you to remember that my body was broken for all your brokenness, so now you can have wholeness. You can have peace, you can have heaven one day. And then he took the cup, and the cup, he said, that represents my blood poured out for you. You see, they were eating the Passover meal. That's what they were doing, and Jesus turned the Passover meal into something even deeper, because Jesus always took dinner and took it deeper. Now, Passover was when, in the Old Testament, Moses and the people of Israel who'd been slaves in Egypt for over 450 years, God was getting ready to deliver them. And so the last plague was the death angel coming and, and taking the firstborn of all the Egyptians who wouldn't let the Israelites go. And so what happened was, the Lord God said, Moses, tell the people to put blood over their door to kill an unblemished lamb and take the blood and, and put the blood over the doorpost and the death angel will pass over every Israelite family. And so that's what happened, but what a powerful image that God planned for Passover, the blood of the unblemished lamb on the doorpost so that death would pass over and they would experience life and then freedom from bondage. And it was a foreshadowing of Christ coming. And so just imagine Christ taking the Passover meal with his disciples, knowing Passover was all about him. Because now death would pass over all Christ's followers. Yes, we experience death, but that death just takes us to life. Oh, death, where is your sting? Now that Christ has poured out his blood and it covers us. So now we have eternal life. And so we're to remember that sacrifice. Communion is also a time for examining. 
It says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. You see, first, communion is only for believers. It's not for those who haven't put their faith in Christ because it doesn't mean anything to those who haven't put their faith in Christ and haven't experienced his blood cleansing us of our sins and his body being broken to give us wholeness because every one of us are broken and that's why we need him. But if you've never received Christ, it's really not for you because it doesn't mean anything to you. It's only for believers. So we examine ourselves and if you haven't received Christ, great news. You can pray to receive Christ in the next moment. And I'm gonna give you a chance to do that. So you can take your first communion. And what a powerful thing. You receive Christ on the same day you take your first communion and it means something powerful because he has washed away your sins. He's given you peace, he's given you heaven one day and he's given you wholeness. But but then it's also a time for examining for believers. Paul here is talking to believers and he said, when you come and take communion before you do, let the Holy Spirit examine your heart to show you if there's any areas of your life that you haven't surrendered over to God. If there's sins in your life that you haven't confessed to God. You see, as a believer, whenever you sin, Christ doesn't leave you. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You can't lose your salvation. But here's the thing. When you sin, you're out of communion with God. And the answer to that is all we have to do is confess. And the word confess means just to admit. If you confess to a crime, you just admit it. And so when you confess to a sin, all you do is say, God, you're right. I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. And he forgives you. He's not judging you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. But he wants to be back in communion with you. You see, Christ will be in your life. He'll never leave you. Even when you sin, he'll never leave you. But you can push him out of the center of your life. And when you do, before you take communion, and this is a very serious thing. The scripture says, put him back at the center. And so you ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that's keeping the Lord Jesus through his Holy Spirit to be at the center of my life? Have I put something else ahead of God? Have I neglected some things in my life that have put him in second place or way down the list? Is there a sin in my life that I haven't confessed? All you have to do is confess it. And you're right back in communion with him where he answers your prayers and he's right there to give you his strength. And so we're gonna have a a time where we're just gonna listen to the Holy Spirit in just a moment. And it's not a time for guilt or shame if you're a Christ follower. It's just a time to let the Holy Spirit reveal in your life if there's anything that he wants you to confess. And when it comes to your mind, just you're right, Lord. And you're forgiven, you're back in communion with him. But then it's also a time for committing it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. One reason we take communion, and at Woodland Church we do it in groups, we do it in Bible studies, and we do it as a congregation. During the year, maybe three or four times, just to remind us, we have it also with our prayer groups. But it's so important to remember and then to recommit. It says here that whenever you take communion, in just a moment we're going to take communion. When you do, what's going to happen is you're preaching Christ's death and resurrection. And that's what we preach. So you're going to, you're going to do the preaching in just a moment. Some of you are a little scared because you think I'm going to call you up. No, that's not what I'm saying. 
Some of you, you've been waiting for that moment for a long time, and you scare me. Yeah. Waiting to have Pastor Kerry calling me, I'll come up and preach. But we really do preach because what it's preaching is saying that Christ died, was buried, he rose again, and he's making all the difference in my life. He's changing my life from the inside out. It's a time to recommit. So if you're a Christ follower, what you want to do is just go, God, thank you for what you've done for me, that sacrifice. And because you have sacrificed everything for me, I want to surrender my life to you in a whole new way. I want to recommit my life to you, Christ. I want you to work in my life in a powerful way. I want to see your miracles in my life. I want to see you move in my life. I want to surrender to you because I can trust you. I'm tired of putting myself back as the general manager of my life, and I surrender my the care and control directly to you. Well, then it's also a time for healing. I want you to look at this next verse in Isaiah 53, 5. And I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. It's prophesying of Jesus coming. And what a clear prophecy from the Old Testament. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, it was Christ's wounds, his shedding of his blood, his being whipped with that cat of nine tails, his nails in his hands and in his feet and the sword in his side. All of those things, he took upon himself the punishment for all of us because he's perfect holy God and there's perfect heaven that he wants us to be in in communion with him forever and so he had to die so that we could be in perfect heaven. So when we get to heaven and he says, why should I let you in? We say, well, I'm not perfect, but I've received Jesus, the perfect lamb who shed his blood so that I could be here. I don't deserve it. It's perfect heaven and I'm not perfect like everyone else, but I received Christ and he forgave me of all my sins. And I stand here because of what Jesus has done, not what I have done. And so Communion is a time for healing. I believe with all my heart that God still heals today, physically, emotionally, relationally. God still heals today. And so during communion, I believe it's a time of healing. And God wants to heal right here and right now. I believe God heals physically. We've seen it so many times at Woodlands Church where the Lord heals physically. Sometimes he does it immediately, and we've seen that many times. Miracles that can't be explained other than God healed. But then sometimes it's delayed healing. We pray for someone for healing. And God uses the doctors and their wisdom and medicines, and it's a process of healing. He uses that prayer. And now even science is coming to the conclusion that prayer works. And so, he uses that, and it's, it takes a little bit of time for healing, and God brings us through that healing process. And then there's the ultimate healing, and that's heaven. You, you see, if you get healed physically here on this earth, ultimately, we're still going to die. And the ultimate healing is heaven, where he heals us completely, and we're totally whole. Even those who Jesus healed in the New Testament, even those that he raised from the dead, they eventually died again but they experience ultimate healing in heaven. And so we give it to God when we pray for healing. We believe that God is going to heal and we leave it to him, how he does it. But God wants to heal physically, he wants to heal emotionally. There's some wounds that no doctors can touch. There's some wounds emotionally that 
No one else can heal but the great healer. And then he heals relationally. I believe with all my heart he wants to heal someone today in a marriage relationship. He wants to heal a marriage. He wants to heal a family. He wants to heal a broken heart. He wants to heal broken and damaged emotions. He wants to heal mental illness. He wants to heal emotional hurt. God wants to heal. And I believe there's someone here today that God wants to heal in some way. And right now, he's putting a little bit of faith in your heart that just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, this could be the day. And we're going to have our prayer partners out here to pray for healing out by the fountain today. We encourage you, if you need healing in any way, you've got someone you know that needs healing, well then, go out there and pray. And we're going to let God do his mighty work. Well, now it's time to take communion. So I want you to take that little cup that we gave you. And I want you to tear off the top, and you're going to see the little wafer, the bread that represents Christ's body. I want you to hold it in your hand. Just hold it in your hand. And I want us to bow our heads. Before you take communion, I want us just to stop for just a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak to us to show us if there's any areas of our life that we need to surrender over to God or any sins we just need to confess. And as as we pray that, you just silently... When God reminds you, you say, you're right, God. Thank you for your forgiveness. I'm back in communion with you. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we ask you through your Holy Spirit to search our hearts and just show us if there's any area of our life that's not right with you, any sin we need to confess. And thank you for your forgiveness in advance. Lord, we stand before you and sit before you in silence and let you speak to us. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness that you're just right there and you love us so much. We want you to be at the center of our lives and everything. We recommit ourselves to you, Lord, to follow you with all our hearts because you know what's best for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. On the night that Christ was betrayed, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he passed it out, and he said, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And then if you'll take the cup. And the cup, he said, the cup is the new covenant. Represents my blood shed for you. Take it and drink. Aren't you glad that Christ loves us and forgives us and heals us? I want us right now to stand. And and let's sing to the Lord because I believe with all my heart, God wants to heal right now. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. And I know some of you right now, God's bringing a little faith in your heart just to give him just a, a little opening in the window of your heart because you're thinking, just maybe, just maybe, God's going to heal me today. God wants to heal. God wants to strengthen. Maybe it's to start that healing process. Maybe it's right now. Maybe he wants you to go out to the prayer fountain at the end of the service. I don't know. But he's too good to not believe. Just take a little bit of ordinary, imperfect faith and place it on him. Maybe you got the faith the size of a mustard seed. Place it all on him. And say, God, as best I know how, I trust you. And I believe that you can heal me. Let's sing it to him. Yeah. You can be seated. God is too good not to believe. And he knows what's best. Even when we can't see it, he's working. 
And I know that as a church family, God works in our family when we get together and we have fun together and just fellowship together. And that's what's gonna happen tonight at 6 p.m. We got barbecue and fixings for everyone. There's gonna be so many people out on the plaza. We're calling it churchwide family dinner. And I know that God's gonna work and I believe he'll connect you with others that are going through the same things as you're going through. We're just gonna have a lot of fun tonight, so don't miss it. It's gonna be amazing. Well, it is so meaningful to share the Lord's Supper together as a church. And we do it because Jesus told us to. He said, remember me. Do this and remember me. Remember that I willingly gave my life for you. My body was broken. My blood was spilled so that your sins didn't have to keep you separated from my Father and I forever. When I stop and I really force myself to think, just as Carrie said, let's stop and examine our hearts and see what's in there and, and confess our sins. When I stop to do that, I have to face the reality that the very real, holy Lord that I serve had to die a horrible death on a cross for my sins because of me. And when I do that, I can't help but feel somber because Deep gratitude wells up within me, but right alongside that is sorrow and repentance because I have to face my sins, the stuff that I've done. So even if the rest of you were all perfect, I just need to tell you, Jesus would have had to die for my sins. I needed help that badly. And Jesus went to the cross for us. I can't remember his death without being reminded that I was complicit in it. And Jesus said that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we should look backward and remember that his blood on the cross covers our sins. But also, he wants us to look forward to our next meal in his presence. And this is so exciting because in Matthew chapter 26, verse 29, Carrie read this passage, but this was the very last verse of our key passage. Jesus said this, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he said, look backward, but at the same time, as he was celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples, what we call the Lord's Supper, he was giving a grand look forward at the joy that's ahead of us, the joy. There won't be any sorrow at the next meal. There will not be any sorrow at that next meal. Did you know that if you're a believer, that you will be in heaven celebrating at that feast with Jesus. The last supper meal that Jesus shared with his friends is just a foretaste of his kingdom. What we call the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of the Lamb's Supper, the joy-filled celebration that we will share in heaven. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, it says, Blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The wedding supper of the Lamb. Did you know that? Is that not amazing that as we conclude this series about dinner with Jesus, that there is yet one ahead and that we get to be a part of it? I cannot wait. I'm so excited about this. And sharing in the Lord's Supper is just the start of the feast that we will eat with Jesus and his people in that new creation. It's not just a symbol. It's not just a picture. It's the real thing begun in a partial way. We actually eat real food. We had bread. We take the, the, the bread and the cup 
when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's real food, and in the same way, we'll be eating with Jesus in heaven. Jesus didn't say, think this in remembrance of me. He didn't say, just say this in remembrance of me. No, he said, do this, eat this, drink this. Why? Because heaven is real. Heaven is real. You cannot read the scriptures and not come to the conclusion heaven is a very real place. In John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus' words, his promises to us are rock solid. If Jesus says, he said to us, he said, would I tell you that I, there's a house with many rooms that I'm taking you to heaven? Would I tell you there's a real place that I will take to you, you to and not mean it? No, we can trust Jesus that his words are true, that heaven is real, and that God has a seat saved for you at his table. There's a seat reserved for you at that table. And once we trust Christ, and take, partake of the Lord's Supper here because we're believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that he rose again for our sins. And we confess our sins and we ask him to come into our hearts. Well, that is our, our reservation is confirmed in heaven. Let me remind you what heaven is like. In Revelation 21.4, describes it this way. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. Forever. Can you imagine all death and crying and tears and sorrow gone forever? This world has a lot of hurts. One of the, one of the biggest ones can be losing a child. The death of a child or an infant um, is, is one of the hardest things that anyone in this life can go through. And so as a church family, we celebrate joys together. We also come together in our sorrows. So I want to make sure that everyone knows about something coming up. And call, we're calling it Lights of Love. And on October 15th from 7 to 8 p.m., we are going to, at the Woodlands campus, have a special time um, to honor for anyone who, uh, who has lost a child, an infant, um, to come and out here by the pond. We're going to have a time in the evening. We're going to have lights and uh, just be able to celebrate and remember the children who have been lost. Uh, have a time to share their names. It's so important to share their names. And just remember them by honoring these children, these babies in heaven. And bereaved families as well as um, family Friends are welcome to come, and we will release um, some candlelit um, lanterns together as we do that. And this evening will be a night of, of remembrance. And if you have lost a child, whether it is a few weeks ago or maybe decades ago, this is a time for you because that is a hurt we understand that never goes away. We look forward to um, sharing that with you. If you want to know more information, you can just go to the website and find that out. But as a church family, we celebrate and grieve together. And knowing what heaven's going to be like enables us to make sense of the feelings that we all get here. All of us have feelings sometimes of being just overwhelmed. I mean, do you ever feel just aching 
hurt and you don't really know why, like something's just aching inside of you and you can't really put your finger on the cause, on what made you feel that way? Or are there times where you feel like crying? Um, Maybe you just think, I don't know, I guess it seems like things are going good in my life, but it feels like something's missing and I can't find the words to name it. Well, that ache, that longing that's always there somewhere just under the surface in all of us, that's homesickness. It's homesickness. We are homesick for heaven because that's our real home. This earth is not our home. If you're a Christ follower, your home is in heaven and there's something in you, the spirit in you that's always longing for that. In Hebrews, um, there's a a verse in Hebrews um, chapter 13, verse 14. And it says, for this world is not our home. We are looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. That's what Jesus is telling us to look forward to. Look backward at what he did, but look forward to being home in heaven. When Carrie and I graduated from college in that summer between college and seminary, we were counselors at a camp in Texas, uh, the kind of camp that kids go to for several weeks. And we would um, help watch over the kids and do activities and be allowed to drive ski boats that we never should have been allowed to. And we, would, we, we went there, we were there for the summer, and every night we would go around and do a cabin check and see, you know, make sure all, all the kids are there, everybody's accounted for, they're all in their beds, all is well. But one night when it was time to go do our cabin check, there was one boy and everybody was saying, we saw him here, you know, just 10 minutes ago, we don't know where he is. Where'd he go? We quickly started looking around and we found this this precious boy. He's nine or ten years old, and he's just, he's just heading out. He's just walking across one of the fields and going to go off in the woods. So we ran over, cut up with him, and said, hey, buddy, where are you going? What's going on? And he said, you know, I want to go home. I'm going home. I'm on my way. I said, really? Wow. Um, you know, where do you live? And of course, his, his home was hours away but by car, but he was heading out because he was homesick. He was that homesick. Homesickness is a real feeling, If you've ever felt it, maybe you've been transferred and you used to live somewhere else and you've been transplanted and you're missing your home. You know it's a real thing. And he was so homesick that he decided, I'm done with this. I'm heading out. And we said, well, um, so what are you going to do for food while you're you're gone? This might be quite a hike. And he said, I'll kill a deer. (laughs) He said, well, that is awesome. I appreciate a boy with a plan, you know. But, well, how are you going to kill it? He said, with my bare hands. (laughs) He said, okay, that is what homesickness will do to you. You know, we're just like, I will do whatever it takes. When our daughter Megan went to college, um, we have three sons and one daughter. And I don't, maybe the boys were homesick too. Megan was especially homesick when she went to college. And our oldest son, Ryan, was a senior at the same school when our daughter Megan was a freshman. But she would call every day and say, oh, I just want to come home. I'm just so homesick. And so what Ryan did as a senior is he would go and pick Megan up. And it turns out there are several girls on her hall. She's in a girl's dorm and there are several girls that are all just really having trouble with homesickness. And he would take this little group and take them to IHOP or take them somewhere around and and try to cheer them up, get them a meal, get them laughing and having fun because he understood what it was like. And so even though Megan didn't have her home, she wasn't at home, 
being with family helped. It really helped her make that transition to be able to stay at college. And I love our church. It is a place where we can be homesick together. We can be homesick together. We're all longing for heaven, aren't we? We are all longing for a place where things aren't broken the way they are now. And we know enough to know that every person here has a hidden hurt. We all do, Carrie and I included. We all have hidden hurts. You're not alone. God understands. He sees you. And as a family, as a church family, we can encourage each other, celebrate together. We can comfort each other and remind each other of heaven, remind each other that there is a place waiting for us where we can be with family, our brothers and sisters forever. But right now we can be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, God's family, while we wait. And just as the Lord's Supper is a meal, it's a sample, it's an appetizer of that feast we're going to celebrate one day in heaven, the fellowship of believers at church, sharing meals, sharing stories of how Jesus has rescued us and what he's teaching us, the church is a foretaste of what our forever home in heaven will be like. Now, when you think of homecoming, what do you think of? Now, right away, the Texans are separated from the non-Texans in this. Because if, you are a te- if you're from Texas, you think homecoming, you think, oh yeah, that's that time where there's mums as, you know, as big as a dinner plate. And then you know, yards of ribbon and toys and bells tied to them. But the rest of the world knows that homecoming is a tradition for um, schools or groups, it may be an army troop, to come back and reunite at the place where they originally were tied together. It's a celebration time. You come back home. They call it homecoming. You come back home to that place where you formed these relationships. It's an invitation to come home to the place where you're always welcome and your arrival is eagerly anticipated. When I think of homecoming, I think of my grandma Hazel. My dad's mom, her name was Grandma Hazel. Her name, and so I just grew up going to her house. We never lived in the same town, but we would periodically go there for Christmas and summer vacations. We'd go visit her. And every time I went to Grandma Hazel's house, and I mean every single time, when you came up, you pull up in the car in her driveway, And before you could get both feet onto the pavement, she was on the front porch, which meant she had been looking out the window, even though she only had a day that she knew we were coming, not a big window, but she'd been watching. And she would step out on the front porch and throw her hands in the air and say, well, happy day, happy day, every single time, happy day. It was, she made you feel like her whole life, she'd been waiting for this moment when you arrived. And she was just so welcoming. And I always looked forward to being there with great anticipation. So after Carrie and I got married, I told him, you have to come and meet my relatives. It's, they, they, they live in a small town um, in the middle of a cornfield in central Illinois. So, you know, so we hadn't made it up there yet. But after we got married, I said, we're all tied in, and now it's time to meet the fa- all the family. right?" And so we... A few months after we were married, we went up to Illinois so he could meet my grandparents. And it was a long travel day. We got up there, 
and pulled up in her driveway, and it was you know, somewhere between 11 p.m. and midnight. And it had been a few years, you know, my, my grandma cont- was continuing to get older, and I thought, well, we're just going to sneak in quietly, and we'll wake, we won't wake her up. We pulled up, and of course, all the lights are just blazing in the household. There's cars on the street, parked up and down the street. We pull up in the driveway, sure enough, before we even can get both of our feet on the ground, my grandma Hazel is on the front porch saying, happy day, happy day. And we walked up those steps, and I thought, you know, the excitement was welling in me. I told Carrie all about Grandma Hazel. But we opened that front door with Grandma Hazel, stepped around her, and her living room was packed, jam-packed with people. I mean, every aunt, uncle, cousin, neighbors I knew well, they were all there, just packed in. And this is late at night. And the food, the food, they had pulled every table, clearly borrowed some to line up to make one long table all down the, all down the living room because, you know, it was card tables, coffee tables, all these things lined up just heavy with bowls of food and platters of food that everyone had brought together. And we opened that door and we could hear laughter and people were in there and they turned as one and looked at us and just exploded in emotion. Everybody came rushing up to welcome us. And they hugged Carrie. They'd never met him before, but they were, he was pulled into tight hugs by people he didn't know. And he was a real trooper. And, <laughs> but everyone was so excited to see us. They were so welcoming. And here it is, almost midnight. And they, were, they couldn't wait for the party to get started. And it wasn't going to start without us. And we celebrated together. It was so joyous. And I think back on that time. My grandma is, has long been with the Lord. She is in heaven. But I think back on those days and think, wow, wow. I mean, if, if that will happen just with a little small town in Illinois, can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven? Can you even imagine if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then one day you are going to see him face to face. Let me say that again to make sure you got it. You and I will see Jesus face to face. We will be in his presence. There is a banquet, a feast waiting for you. And the Father is going to throw his arms open to welcome you and I. And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Honestly, we have so much to look forward to. Yes, absolutely, this world is hard, so hard. But we have so much to look forward to. Your friends and family who've gone before you, they will be there. And can you just picture it? Talking and laughing and eating. And they, in an absolute joy, they pull you into the celebration of our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. All the wrongs will be made right. All the sad things will become untrue. All the aches we have that we cannot get past in this lifetime They'll come untrue. All of the broken and the hurting and the wrong of the world, over, over. Children who left us too soon will be playing and dancing and laughing. And if you are hurting today, I want to encourage you with Jesus' words because he told us, hang on, hang on, there is a celebration coming 
said, I wouldn't tell you that if it wasn't true. I love you too much. You can trust that the one who would die for you on the cross, he's not going to lie to you. So hold on, family. We are almost home. Would you stand and sing with us? Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.